Good morning. Hey, I wanted to draw your attention to something really quickly before I get started. We Last month we were talking about hospitality and we were talking about sometimes hospitality means that we are generous even when we lack. And, and uh, sometime last month Dan came and he talked to you a little bit about our finances and we're not we're not falling apart here, but uh, we did want to recognize we're a little tight at the moment. And so one of the things that came out of those two conversations is this recognition that all the things, all the money in the world is God's. And so we want to be faithful in the middle of that, even when we're not incredibly confident in our own finances. And so one of the conversations on that is how can we be generous to people that really need it during the Christmas season? And how can we do for some what we wish we could do for all, Right. And so we are going to be taking for this week and next week and the week after, we're going to be taking a kind of a special Advent love offering. And so there's a, a red box back there in the middle of the doorway on the way out. Bob put it there for us. And, and in that box this week, next week, and the week after, we're going to be taking a special offering in addition to whatever our offering is. And we're just asking that you would give generously. And we're going to, at the end of this three weeks, we're going to take that, we're going to divide it up, and we're going to give it to our single moms ministry uh, that meets here among us, and, and this is just a way to say to them, we care about you, we recognize how difficult it is to be a single parent, and, and again, there are lots of people in need. These are the ones that we're hoping to bless this year, and so uh, be, be prayerful about that. You may not have any extra on you today. You may not have thought about it, and that's okay. We've got a few weeks that we're doing this, but if you do a regular latte, skip a latte a week, and there's $15, $20 that you can throw in there, and I used to work at Starbucks, so I know how much they cost. And so, so just wanted to draw your attention to that, and we'll keep, we'll keep reminding you in case you forget, but we want, to, we want to care for people that sometimes the Christmas season is overwhelming and difficult, and, and especially for single moms in that. So I want you to go back with me. Imagine way back, we're, we're in a throne room together, right? And, and it's near dusk time, and so the torches on the wall bring light, but they don't seem to bring a ton of light. And we're watching as we're talking about what is going on in our kingdom. And, and we're talking through, we have this, this king who's in his 20s, but the truth is the years have not been kind to him. It looks like he's in his 50s or 60s at this point, even though he's in his mid-late 20s. And we, and we look at this king and we think, God sent us this king, surely this king should be good, right? But we recognize this king has started to follow the Baals. This king has started to worship other gods. This king went so far as to offer one of his sons in sacrifice to one of those foreign gods. We are the people of Judah around 2 Kings chapter 16, and we're watching as the world around us seems to be falling apart. And so this king has taken the treasury of God, the treasury from the temple of God, and he sent this gold and this silver. He's taken the treasury from the rest of our country and he sent it away to Assyria, a godless, heathen nation, and he's asked them to intervene on our behalf because Israel and Aram are coming and they're threatening war for us. And so instead of trusting God, we're using our money, we're using God's money to buy off this foreign kingdom. And we're saying, hey, you guys come back us up, take care of us because we don't believe that God can do that any longer. We are in this deep darkness, right? And we're looking at it as the people of Judah and we're saying, this is not the way it's meant to be, right? We're looking at this deep despair. We're saying, this is not right. We're looking at the king who we expect to be able to trust and he's an idolater. 
he's, uh, he's worshiping these other gods and he's leading us all astray and we're saying this is not the way it's meant to be. And for a lot of us, in the modern 21st century, we've also said that statement before, right? I was trying to think about this this week and I was trying to remember back the first time I kind of thought that. And I, and I realized I had to be younger than Phoebe is right now. I was probably four or five because my dad still lived with us. And so my dad came home one day and he had these two dogs. <laughs> and this is the kind of thing that builds a really strong marriage, right? <laughs> dark, dark humor, sorry. Uh, my dad did not communicate with my mom, I don't think. He just came home with two dogs. So if you're a spouse and you're thinking, that sounds fun, then talk to me afterward. So my dad came home with these two dogs, and my sister and I, my older sister, her name is Ginny, we were so excited about these dogs, right? And, and after a while, though, we weren't so excited because one of them was this male dog, and he was kind of a pit bull mix, and he was a little bit aggressive. And so he, he didn't bite us, but he got pretty close. <laughs> and then there was this other dog, her name was Sadie, and she was kind of a, a mutt, too. We don't have any idea what she was, but she was a very sweet dog. So my sister and I were so excited, and after a couple months, we found out that Sadie was pregnant. We were going to have puppies, and so my sister and I, <laughs> well, I know, <laughs> my sister and I were overwhelmed with joy, right? And so the days and the weeks marched on, and we're waiting and with anticipation for these puppies to arrive, and, and the dogs had kind of dug out this little den in the backyard, and, and eventually the night came, and so my sister and I are watching as, as this dog kind of gives birth to these puppies, and, and we're so excited. We had picked out names, we had talked through names, but when the first puppy came out, we knew something was not right with these puppies. And so my sister and I watched as all these puppies came, four or five of them, and, and not one of them looked right. They're all malformed. Some of them couldn't breathe. Some didn't have eyes. So my sister and I were just devastated we, my mom rushed us inside after the first couple because she didn't want us to see this. So my mom and my dad had to come and talk to us, and they had to come and say, hey, those, those puppies aren't going to make it. And, and we were devastated, right? We were so disappointed and so sad. I remember thinking, this is not the way it's meant to be. And so God is looking at this world, right? this world full of malformed puppies and this world of kingdoms with kings who commit idolatry, who sacrifice sons. And into that world, he sent a prophet with a message for his people. If you want to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9. A lot of scholars would say that this took place concurrently with 2 Kings chapter 16, if you ever want to read about the circumstances surrounding this. But Isaiah comes in and he says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nations and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest. As warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder, for as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of the oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for fire. For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. 
He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So Isaiah strolls into this throne room and he looks at the people who are struggling, the people who are saying this is not the way it's meant to be, and he says there will be a light. There is hope. Now a lot of times we, we look at hope and we think of hope as kind of this blind optimism, right? We start to say hope just means things are going to work out okay. Yeah, things look kind of bad right now, but things will get better later. Things will be good at some point. And so I should just be happy, right? Because things will eventually be okay. And, and the thing I want to emphasize with Christian hope is that Christian hope recognizes that this world is not as it should be, but God is not finished yet. God is not finished yet. This is the baseline of Christian hope. This is what the Advent season is about. So a lot of times we start with this blind optimism and we try to work our way back and we try to say, well, God's doing good things and so, you know, things look kind of bad. But, but God is going to do good things, and I, I want to encourage you, it's okay that things are not okay. Our hope is that God is not finished. So true Christian hope, there has to be a sober realization that this world is broken and not as it should be. We don't have hope if we don't recognize that. But the real hope is that God is not finished. So what are the big moments that we've said this is not the way things should be? This is not the way it's meant to be. I was thinking about, so, so when those puppies died, that was a, a real internal moment of, of me being sad and disappointed. That was probably the very first time I realized just how difficult life could be. But I didn't think about it in terms of a global scale for a long time. And so finally, it all came to, the idea of this kind of came to a head in me when I was 12 or 13 years old. It was April of 1995. And I was in first period English class, and I remember I had an English teacher named Mr. Chafin, and Mr. Chafin was going through an ugly divorce, let me tell you about it, <laughs> and because he told us about it every single day. <laughs> yeah, I know. And, and <laughs> so Mr. Chafin has put that into all of our memories, and, and, <laughs> and so he would tell us very regularly about how ugly his divorce was and whatever about his soon-to-be ex-wife. But Mr. Chafin was not a very good teacher either, and so there wasn't a lot to really recommend his class to us. And so one day, it was, it was 9.02, and I was standing close to a window, and the window was open because it was a nice, cool April morning. And, and I was talking to somebody because I was not listening, because I did not listen in that class. And, and then suddenly, I was not by the window anymore. And suddenly, I heard a crack and a loud boom, and everyone in the class stood up, and we looked out, and there's this pillar of fire and smoke half a mile away from my school. And they came over the intercom and they said, hey, everything's fine. And I'm looking out the window and I'm saying, it doesn't look fine. Everything's fine. You're just going to stay in your class for a while, which made it even worse. And we're going to take care of things. And, and, and soon after that, though, we all got taken out into the courtyard because there had been a bomb threat on our school. And, and what we came to find out throughout the day, details uh, slowly trickled in, is that there had been a bombing just blocks away from my high school. And this Alfred Murrah building, this federal building, had been bombed April 19th, 1995. 
And so in the days and weeks that followed that, we would go to and from school, I would go to and from my youth group, and, and all over the news, every single day was this building that was torn in half by this explosion. And, and you can't see that. You can't see the 160 plus lives that are lost in that moment and say, this is right, this is the way it ought to be. You have to recognize this is not the way it's meant to be. So in the days and weeks that followed that, I realized just how much we see this in our world. And that's true enough, right? But, but there's other places we see this too. I was thinking about other times I've seen this is not the way it's meant to be. My very first ministry job, and I made like $500 a semester, so it was pretty awesome. <laughs> I was a youth intern at First Baptist Church of Brownwood, Texas. And so I worked with the youth group, and, and we had had, probably a year before this, we'd called a new pastor. And his name was John, and he was, he was working on some change in First Baptist. And if you know much about First Baptist churches, change is not really in their lexicon. So, so he's talking them through, and he's trying to organize, hey, here's how we, we, we want to do some newer songs. And we can still do the older songs, but let's do the newer songs. And, and I don't know if you're aware of this, but people get very upset about songs in, in church time, right, in worship so people were getting very upset with John. And I remember I went to a business meeting one time as this intern. I'm just this lowly intern, and I watched as the people in this church, the people that called Jesus Savior, ripped him up and down. And they, they tore him apart, and they said, you're ruining this church. You're not a good pastor. You're a terrible human being. And his poor wife had to watch as this is all going down all over music. And so... In the days and weeks that followed, eventually John got fired. He, he got run out of town. Um, and, and so I had to watch all this as a, a lowly youth intern, watching as this church is tearing this minister apart. And, and it, that doesn't mean he's without blame. I'm sure he did some things he shouldn't have done in that. But I watched, and I watched this church, and I said, this is not the way it's meant to be. And we see this in the church over and over, Right? see churches do things, we see one another, we see Christians that do things, and we think that's not what God intended. Maybe it hits home closest when we look in the mirror, right? And so maybe week to week you come back here and you feel good, and then you leave here and you do the thing that you didn't mean to do. You go right back to living exactly how you lived before, you become the same kind of person. You argue with your spouse in the same way. You treat your kids in the same ugly way. And you think, I am not the way I'm meant to be. We see this in ourselves too, don't we? We see this in our own lives. So I want to encourage you, you're not alone in that. You're not the way you're meant to be. And our church is not the way it's meant to be. And our world is not the way it's meant to be, but God is not done yet. God is working in you, and He's working in me. And this is what I want us to think about here this morning. We see all these layers, but we have this invitation of this newborn. You see, for a very long time, I used to look at newborns and I used to think, ah, those things are hideous. What do people see in those things? <laughs> People would show me photos, and they would say, hey, look at my newborn. I'd say, eh. <laughs> and I'll let you in on a secret. When I saw my own newborns, same thought. <laughs> 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 I 
And I used to think, why are people so crazy about newborns? But I'll tell you, it's changed as I've seen my kids grow and I've seen them become the human beings that they are. (laughs) I've started to realize the reason newborns are so amazing, the reason that they are so breathtaking to us is because newborns represent hope. They represent all the possibilities that this child could be. And I was thinking about hope this week, and I was thinking about this manger, and I was thinking, what did Mary possibly hope for this newborn? They've come out to this place. There's no room for them to stay in a normal place. They don't have doctors to help with the delivery. And they're looking at this newborn, and I wonder, you know, there had been an angel talk to Mary, and there had been an angel talk to Joseph, but I wonder... What did they possibly think? What was their hope? Did she look down and did she say, I hope this baby can someday save the world? (laughs) Did she say, I hope that this baby will die on a cross? Do I hope that this baby will make all things right, make all things new? And I want to encourage you when we think about hope in this Christmas season that God didn't send just a prophet. God sent us a newborn. And this newborn, our hope, is ultimately that this newborn is not finished working yet. That God is going to work through him to change us. So I want to encourage you, when you think about your life, this week you're going to look in the mirror and you're going to say, this is not the way it's meant to be. God is not finished with you yet. God is not finished with you yet. There is hope for you and there's hope for me. And as God changes you, I have great news for you. (laughs) He's going to change our church because God is not finished with our church yet. And as he changes our church, he changes his church. And as he changes us, he changes Columbus. And as he changes Columbus, he changes Ohio, Ohio to the world around us. God is not finished with this world. And the hope for the Advent season is that he will move in you and he will move in me. And he will make all things new through this newborn. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you are too good to us. So we pray, we pray, Lord God, that you would continue to change us, continue to grow us. Let us be conformed to your image, Lord. Let us bring hope to our world and to our neighbors. We love you, Lord. Amen.